This is a bit of a crunching change of gears, isn't it? Eh? <laughs> but we're still in the presence of God. And when you, uh, when you develop a series like this in the, you know, the midsummer, <laughs> here we are nearly at Christmas, it's amazing how God makes these things relevant that you pursued so many weeks ago. And so uh, I just want to pray myself. Is that all right? You can listen in. Lord, I, I just want this word to, Lord, refresh our vision. Refresh our vision, Lord, of what you are about. Not what can you do, but what you are doing. Not what perhaps you might do, but what you will do. God, we, we come before our Father in heaven and say your purposes are enormous. Spanning centuries. Come, Lord. Let us enter into this sweep of history. Let us enter into our place in this glorious plan. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you know prophets have this, uh, have this ability to present to you something that was relevant for their own time and also something that speaks to you about, often about, a future for them that is now a past for us, Jesus on earth. And also about a future for them, there's also a future for us, Jesus coming again. And a new heaven and a new earth. And in the minor prophets it's just as true as in the big names of Isaiah and Ezekiel. And so if you can find Zechariah, we will find in chapter 2 one such prophecy that speaks through the ages, not just to Zechariah's time, but to our time too. Zechariah had several visions, and this is one of them. And we will also do a couple more of Zechariah's visions. I hope it encourages you to read these minor prophets because they're full of God's life and God's word. And uh, so, yeah, while you're doing that, I just also want to say, crunch, another change of gears, that I'm certainly going to do a team April the 4th week next year to Russia, and I love people to come on it and to enjoy Russia and meet my friends and... Uh, Minister to my friends, and they'll also minister to you, no doubt. So uh, please speak to me about that if you want to go, because we will have to have your details, passport details, etc., very soon to get that underway. And this week I'm going to Yerevan, capital of Armenia, and we're having our Russian-speaking world Apostolic Conference there, so the senior leaders from all over 
Russia, Ukraine, Belarus, Kazakhstan, places like that are gathering together. And I'd love you to pray for me, especially on Wednesday when I have to do a session. Also pray for Dave Devonish's wife, Scylla, who's in hospital this weekend. And therefore, you know, he may be reluctant to go on this conference. But it's, um, unfortunately, it's a vital, vital conference for him to be at. So you might pray about that as well. Right, so you're in Zechariah 2. And I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. We heard about that yesterday, didn't we? How boring. Ezekiel, what was it, 39 to 41 or something? Yeah, well, fortunately, we're not in Ezekiel. Then I said, where are you going? And he said to me, to measure Jerusalem, to see what is its width and what is its length. And behold, the angel who talked with me came forward. And another angel came forward to meet him and said to him, Run, say to that young man, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as villages without walls because of the multitude of people and livestock in it. And I will be to her a wall of fire all around, declares the Lord. And I will be the glory in her midst. Up, up, flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord. For I have spread you abroad as the four winds of the heavens, declares the Lord. Up, escape to Zion, you who dwell with the daughter of Babylon. For thus says the Lord of hosts, after his glory sent me to the nations who plundered you. For he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. Behold, I will shake my hand over them and they shall become plunder for those who served them. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I come and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. And many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day and shall be my people and I will dwell in your midst. And you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And the Lord will inherit Judah as his portion in the Holy Land and will again choose Jerusalem. Be silent, all flesh, before the Lord, for he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. Well, I I don't know whether you think much about the future of the church. I don't know whether you think much about the future of the church in Britain or the future of the church worldwide. I used to think an awful lot about it when I was young. And uh, when I was young, oh, so much younger than today. And... uh, I I used to think about this because the church I grew up in was a very small mission hall in the middle of a very tough part of London and uh, we very rarely saw anybody 
come to Jesus. And we very rarely saw anything of significance happen. Although we did all sorts of stuff evangelistically, it was pretty dire. And I used to think about it and I used to pray and say, Lord, is this it? Is this it? Is this as far as we're ever going to go? Is this it? And then to make things even worser, more worse, worser, to make things more difficult, (laughs) there were some people that I really admired who were youth leaders. And these youth leaders went off to be missionaries. One went to uh, the Philippines and anyway, they they went around the world. They, They left us. And I felt that very hard. Lord, what's happening in the church? You know, what's, the, what's going on? And then there was, you know, all the Cold War stuff, and Lord, please do not send me to Russia and all that. And um, so you can imagine how by the time I was, you know, in my late teens and going to university, things were beginning to feel a bit depressing about the church. What's happening to the church, you know, in Russia, there was this guy called God Smuggler, Father Andrew. He smuggled Bibles into Russia. And he came to our UNICU and he spoke at the UNICU and I said again, Lord, never, never send me to Russia. I do not want to go there. I do not want to have to, uh, you know, dice with the KGB. And finish up in prison. He got all these stories, you know, about how Bibles were smuggled past the guards and so on. Suitcases full of Bibles that they just didn't see and things like that. It's very exciting to listen to as long as you were sure you were never going to Russia. (coughs) So, this is what happened. I got filled with the Spirit because I met some people at uni who really knew the Lord in ways that I had never encountered before. And I want to recommend being filled with the Spirit to you. May I recommend it? It's a good thing. And it's really good because you continually get filled. If you keep asking, he'll fill you again and again. One of the things he does when he fills you is explode your horizons and you understand more so much more of what God is about and what he's doing. And this prophecy was such a prophecy for the Israelites, for the, for the people who were hearing it. Because in this time of Zechariah, who uh, prophesied a couple of years after Haggai, which we've just been looking at, haven't we? And so... It's the same sort of situation. People have ignored the building of the temple for 17 years and now they started to do it again and Haggai says, well done! And then Zechariah comes along and says, hey, look, this is going to be huge. 
You look at this thing now and what you see, you're disappointed with. You think, oh, it's not as good as the old temple. Oh, if only. And, you know, I, I was like that in my youth, listening to stories about the past. You know, revival, the Welsh revival, the Hebridean revival. Everyone was talking about all these revivals of the past, but not now. Nothing was happening now. But I tell you, we did not know. That's all. We did not know what God was doing in those days. As the church in China was beginning to explode into life. We did not know. We didn't know what God was doing in South America. We did not know these things. But now we know. And now we know more of what God is doing around the world. Do you know Europe is the dark hole, Christian-wise, of the whole world? There's nowhere else where it's as bad as this. Isn't that encouraging? Because <laughs> the only way is up. Yeah. Amen. The only way is up. It's, it is horrendous in Spain where my friends are building, struggling to build church. It is horrendous in places around Europe. Ask Colin and Jane about Cyprus. How easy is it to build church in Cyprus? Well, why do you just turn up and say, Hi, I'm here and suddenly there's a thousand people or what? No. But other places around the world... God is doing amazing things. Amazing things. Amazing things. Muslims are coming to Christ in huge numbers. Did you know that? Iran is seeing huge numbers of people turn to Christ. Hey, you don't get that on BBC 24. I'll tell you why you don't get it on BBC 24, because that's not good news to them. But for us, it is tremendous news. It is good news around the world. And so Zechariah is saying to these people, hey, look, this is what God will do. There's a man with a measuring line. And he's trotting off to measure Jerusalem. You know, we humans have a great desire to measure things, don't we? We, we want to measure everything. We want to analyse it and measure it and draw diagrams of it. And, you know, we, we love to measure things. You know, when you're building a model railway, you have to measure a lot of stuff. And the model railway gauge that I work to is 18.83 millimetres. Okay? This is the standard British gauge of four foot eight and a half inches, reduced at four millimetres to the foot to 18.83 millimetres. Now, can you imagine measuring 18.83? Fortunately, I don't have to do that. They give you jigs so that you don't have to actually measure 18.83 because I'd get it wrong most of the time, wouldn't you? We have this passion for measuring. And do you know what that does? When you're measuring 18.83 millimetres, what it does is makes you get very close. I've got eyeglasses, magnifiers, you know. You get very close. And when you get very close like this, guess what you don't see? Everything else. 
That's what you don't see. And we can be magnificently aware of exactly how many chairs we put out on a Sunday and not know that God is doing a great thing. And that, who knows, he might do a great thing in this country. Who knows? Yeah, he might do an amazing thing that shocks us to the core, that we think, we didn't see that coming. Well, no, we didn't. We were busy measuring. Measure, 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 measure. And so this man, he says, I'm going to measure Jerusalem to see how big it is, to see, you know, how many mega churches from the Midwest of America we can fit in. No. God has bigger plans than that. And this is the amazing thing. He expresses something here that requires them to see almost beyond their dreams. You see, their dreams was a big Jerusalem with a big temple where their nation would worship God. That was the extent of their horizon. And God in this prophecy blows that up, blows it apart and says, hey, don't bother with measuring because you won't be able to measure the hugeness of what I'm going to do. You won't be able to measure the amazing things that I'm going to do. I'm going to reach out to the world. The whole world, not just your nation, but the whole world. Every person, tribe, tongue, nation in the whole world is being reached by Jesus Christ today as a fulfilment of this prophetic word that you've just read. Isn't that amazing? And they had to have their vision exploded, you know? Kaboom! It's gone. It's just inadequate. It's just not what God intends. How big is your vision for this nation that we live in? To be added to the nations. It says here, Many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day, and they shall be my people. And so it needed an expansion beyond their dreams, a whole new environment that they could hardly envisage. You know how hard it is to think, you know, out of the box, as they say, in business. Can you think out of the box? God is saying to them, think out of your box. Your box is constraining you. And the purposes of God are going to be greater. There'll come one, for them the future, centuries later, there will come one who will take hold of this and make it a reality. And look at this protection without walls. You know, when we're thinking humanly, we think so, so limitedly. Have you been to Corfe Castle? It's a castle with walls. Corfe Castle. Who's been there? Anyone? Yeah, loads of you. Goody, goody. 
It's a lovely train that goes past. Anyway, <laughs> this castle has walls. And one, at one point, there is this, I don't know if you've seen it, there is the hole near the top. And this hole is where they used to pour burning oil, heated up oil, as hot as possible. Used to pour it down on invaders' heads. Ooh, yuck. And these people would get burning oil clinging to them. and ugh. Medieval warfare. Whoa, it was vicious and nasty. They probably would be pleased with a bullet in their head. <laughs> Joyful stuff. Because, you know, the walls were important. They must not be scaled, you know. It's the defence. It's the defence of the city. And, and they invented things like pouring burning oil to increase the defence of the city at this wall. And so people's focus was on walls of defence. And it was true in biblical times as well. Their focus was on cities with walls. They were places where you could run to and be safe defended by the walls and God is saying hey my church my people he's talking about his people my church will be a place without walls it'll be so humongous it'll be so vast it'll be so worldwide you can't have walls what you have is better than walls Oh, but we can't think of anything better than walls. Walls are good. Yes, says God, I have thought of something better than walls. My fire will protect you. I don't know if you've seen these pictures of forest fires in Australia and California and the speed at which they travel. Someone was saying yesterday about um, someone, someone having a th Australia having a three-minute warning. They have to be ready with a rum bag. It was John, you were saying. Uh, they have to be ready with a rum bag, you know, because you might have to run in three minutes because this fire goes at such a rapid rate. It spreads so fast and it is all-consuming. All-consuming. You see afterwards... The burnt out cars, the burnt out buildings, you see the devastation, it's complete and total. And God says, I will protect you by being a fire around the church. The church, and of course it's, it's not a real fire in that sense, but it's more powerful even than a real fire. It's the fire of God protecting the people of God and he will do it. And the presence of God himself will be there. I will dwell in your midst. Sing and rejoice. Huh. Have a party. God is with you. Have a party. God is here. Wherever you go in the world, you will find groups of people like you and I being protected by the Spirit of God, the fire of God. 
tongues as of fire fell upon their heads. Remember that? The church began with fire. The church began with the Holy Spirit pouring out fire. Let us never lose the Holy Spirit's fire. You know, there's a lot of people who call themselves charismatic these days, but where's the fire? I call myself charismatic. Where's my fire? But I know this God is here. And yesterday we saw more of the presence of God. And this morning we've seen more of the presence of God. But there's still more to come. There's more surely than this. This cannot be the end. And Zechariah expresses that to you and says to you, raise your eyes, lift your eyes to what God is doing around the world. Rejoice, have a party. It's great what God is doing. It's magnificent what God is doing. Hmm. Is it? Yeah, you've got to see the spiritual eyes. You've got to look at this nation and say, Lord, save us. You've got to see it with spiritual eyes. It's no good saying, I'll vote for this one or that one, or another election or another referendum. Something will heal us as a nation. No, the only thing that heals sin is salvation. And the only one who brings salvation is Jesus Christ. The only way to him in heaven, the Father God, is through Jesus Christ. There is no other way. Let's be bold about that. Let's proclaim that. There is no other way. You might want to be friends with Muslims and Sarah will have lots of Muslim friends, but there is this one truth. It's only through Jesus. That is the truth. And in this flaky, snowflakey culture in which we live, which Russians find totally, totally ununderstandable, and we probably will find their culture totally ununderstandable, what is going on? Well, Jesus Christ is saving people in both cultures. That's what's going on. The presence of God himself, as in the Exodus. You know, if you pray for me for next, next week, one of the things I want to help these guys, these guys are persecuted. These guys live in war zones. These guys live in places where Christians get imprisoned. These guys live in places where it is dangerous to be a Christian. These guys need to know the safety of the Spirit of God around them, the fire of God around them. And I want to express that to them. And, you know, what have I got to say? I come from a place they would laugh at the thought of persecution here. So someone lost their job. Is that all? But what can I bring? Well, I can bring my passion. And I want to express to them that in Exodus... When God released the people out of Egypt, there came this point where they were facing crossing the Great Sea. And there they are, facing the 
this impenetrable barrier and behind them come the thundering hooves of the Egyptian army. Chariots. You know the sand cloud rising up. You've all seen the film, haven't you? The sand cloud rising up. These people coming with sharpened spears and sword. They're going to cut you in two. And God, in the pillar, the cloud, and the fire, moves from the front of them to the back and stands between them and their enemy. Don't know whether Zechariah's dream got him to think about that when he woke up after this vision. If he was asleep, I don't know. It doesn't say, but he was asleep. Anyway, why do I get caught up in all these little details? I don't know. Um, so, oh, oh, Lord. <laughs> Help, help me to help them. See this. See this truth. That there is one who stands. And you, you get this verse. You touch, you touch them. You touch the apple of my eye. It's a famous bit of this prophecy. You're probably aware that it's become a proverb in the English language. The apple. Oh, she's the apple of my eye. You touch them, the people of God, says God, and you touch the apple of my eye. I will repay. It's not for us to have vengeance. It's not for us to think of vengeance even necessarily. But know this, that God will have his way. And it's not often talked about because it's not very nice. Lots of people say, how can a loving God behave like this, etc., etc. But we just have to receive it and accept it and rejoice in it that our God is the defender of his people. And even when there's martyrdom, even when there is pain and distress, as the Chinese church has discovered, there are two things you can be sure of. One, God will repay. There will come a day when the heavens will open and all the ungodly will say, oh my word, I was wrong. Too late. And the second thing you can be sure of is that the church will grow. The church will grow, despite that. And so, here we are, with Zechariah, talking about the apple of his eye. He calls us, he draws us out of captivity, and he protects us. And then, sing and rejoice. Here was another totally new concept for them to grasp hold of. They were looking at something that they thought was not really what was good enough and 
good enough for them, let alone good enough for God. You know, this, this pathetic little temple that we're building. And God wants to explode their short horizon, explode them from staring at this stuff minutely, measuring, because what's coming is immeasurable, immeasurable. And of course, in the centuries since, that's what's happened. Millions and millions of people have become Christians throughout the whole world. Millions and millions. What could they have thought, you know? I don't know, a few hundred thousand people being protected by God in the midst of heathen nations. I mean, if you've been there in that century, in the 7th century BC, you probably would have thought the same because we are very aware of our physical circumstances, aren't we? We're very aware of the limitations around us. We're very aware. Like I said, I've spent 50 years waiting for revival in this country. And I'm still waiting. But what's 50 years in God's economy? They had to wait seven centuries for Jesus Christ. And we're in the 21st century now waiting for his return. But you're still sitting here believing he will come again. He will come again. As you saw him go, so he will come again. And so God in this vision wants to increase their understanding. Show them something that takes them beyond themselves. That takes them beyond themselves into God's world. That takes them beyond their beyond their little eyeglass and shows them something that he is doing, not them. They've got measuring lines and lumps of rock and they're chipping away to shape the rock up and everything seems to be working okay, but it's not very big, is it? It's not very large. It's not like it used to be. In the good old days. And all the time, God is working out his purposes from one end of this earth to the other. Hmm. And they are privileged with this prophetic word to have their eyes opened to what it might be and what it might be like. And we benefit too. Because it's still going on. And so I want to ask you today. There was a physical temple that they focused on. And they didn't see what God is doing. Are you focused like that? On the church. Well, it's really good, you know. We got, you know, it's really good. Haley got baptized last week. 
But then Joanna's going to Iraq. So we'll lose her. So that's one in and one out. <laughs> when you lead a church, you know, this is a special temptation for leaders to be measurers, not visionaries. But what the church needs is visionaries who will be leaders. What the church in this nation needs is men and women who are caught up with this big story, this big Genesis Revelation story, who believe it and proclaim it And whether people are losing their jobs for wearing crosses or not, we proclaim Jesus. We proclaim the Lord's death when? Until he comes. Because coming again, he is. And in the meantime, whoever touches you touches the apple of his eye. And in the meantime, he's reaching out to every nation on earth. You know, the Jewish nation had such trouble grasping this because they saw their inheritance and they saw how God had dealt with them through history and they were convinced of themselves that their nation was the nation. And God says, but no. The nation produces Jesus who heads the church of all nations. Hold on to it. Hold on to it with a passion and be filled with the Spirit again and again and again, continually being filled with the Spirit who will lead you and guide you and Power you and put you on fire for him. Wow. What about that then? Zechariah would probably be amazed at the fulfillment of his prophecy, at the fulfillment of this vision. He would look at it and be amazed. He would say, Hey, two billion Christians around the world, two billion. Two billion people praising God for their salvation. And through history, two more billion people praising God. What does that make you think? God's weak and puny? No, he's the victor. He's the one who leads us in victory. Be filled with the Spirit and follow him. Lord, we are so grateful for this prophetic word that encouraged them and encourages us. Thank you, Lord, that you redeemed us and made us the apple of your eye. Lord, we don't often realise how precious we are to you, so I pray that 
people this week will realise and know that you love them. That it's very personal in the midst of a very large and humongous number of people. That you can still cope and be personal to each of us. Thank you, Lord. Amen.